It's a great day to be alive. It's the day the Lord has made. It's a particularly good day here at SUM. We had how many of our students ordained as deacons? That's right. That's right. Because Jen, she's coming back in the, in the winter. We're working on that. So six SUM students ordained as deacons in their local church. Now tell me that is not a mark of, of, of them being trained and equipped to be the best of the best here. Amen. You don't get ordinations out of a Cracker Jack box, by the way. They didn't get that as a participation prize. They got that through hard work and faithfulness. So, so my hat's off to all you guys. My hat off to all you guys. Welcome. Uh, those of you listening online, today we're going to continue our Worldview series. Let's welcome up our pastor and visionary leader, Joe Wyrostek. All right, let's open up our Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13. We're going to entitle this, A Pattern to Keep. A pattern to, to, let's say like this, a pattern to know, to show, and to multiply in. Or we could say a pattern to know, show, and grow in. Let's, let's make that the, the sermon title. A pattern to know, to show, and to grow. As we've already mentioned that yesterday was an important day of ordination for us. Our one that did it in the least amount of time was six months. The one that did it in the most amount of time was five years. So it shows that it, it can be any set of a time for you depending on your journey. And so we're open to letting God move in your life because you're more important to us than your giftings. You're more important to what you just do in, on the stage. We want to see you have a lifetime of good works and a pattern of serving Jesus that impacts your uh, family, your generation, and generations to come. Amen. Amen. God is good. And also today is a special day for me. There it is, the 5th of November. You guys have heard it said so many times. November 5th, 1995. I gave my heart to Jesus. Today marks 23 years. I'm going to do a video or something special later on today. I don't know what I'll do. I was thinking like 23 things I've learned. Well, that will be a long video. So I might just say, here are some things that I've learned over 23 years of serving Jesus. And no better place would I rather be than right here with you guys. Mi corazón, my heart, my familia, my people, my gente. Let's get it on. Amen. Let's keep serving Jesus. Living for God is fun. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13, taking a pause from the Worldview series because of the ordination service and preaching a message according to that. Let me follow up with it here, and then let's get real personal. I'm going to talk about my life and some of my journey in the ministry, and hopefully that will encourage you as we learn to know, show, and grow this pattern. Let's look at the pattern right here, 2 Timothy 1, 13. Paul talking to his spiritual son, Timothy, he says, what you heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching. Somebody say, keep as the pattern. There, there you go. So you got to know the pattern, then you've got to show the pattern to others, and then you've got to grow the pattern. So that's the, the sermon title, and that's how it's going to work out in our lives. Timothy had heard it, so now he got to learn it and know it, and now it was his time to show it. And then now, as you're going to learn, he needed to give it to others so it could grow, so he could grow it. Keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Faith and love are two amazing attributes. These three remain, faith, hope, and love. And hope is a little bit different than faith. Uh, hope is kind of like more of your emotional sense of it. And the faith is more of like what you know to be true. And, and hope is kind of that thing that affects your emotions. That's kind of how I see the difference because it would be really hard to start drawing out definitions like that are different because you could probably say the same thing about faith. You could say about hope, just like with trust, you know. But I think hope and what it's trying to say there is hope is the emotion you get from faith. Like when you have hope, you have a sense of peace and joy no matter what you go through. And the two most important of them are faith and love because I think hope goes under love. And so we're never to lose that. We're never to lose our simple childlike faith in Jesus. So as I look back at my life and I see the 18-year-old me trusting Jesus that day at my mother's kitchen table, I should never lose that. The love that I had for Jesus, I should never lose, as we've learned before in Revelation, never to lose our first love. 
He said, guard, the, he went on to say, guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. And what an important word right there. My dad has given me this word ever since I've been saved. He always says, guard your heart and testimony coming from uh, Proverbs, guarding your heart, testimony coming from Revelation, kind of combining them together is his motto, guard your heart and testimony. And here Paul says that same kind of, that motto here, guard the good deposit. Everybody say that with me. Guard the good deposit. That's what you're supposed to think about when you think about your calling, your ministry, that it's been deposited. It's a good deposit and you are to guard that. And it's been entrusted to you. God gave this to you, trusting you to do the right thing with it. Think about that. We broke God's trust in the Garden of Eden because he trusted us to do the right thing. God has given you a marriage, and he's trusting you with it to do the right thing. He's given you children to trust you to do the right thing. So those of us who have already broken his trust and lived in sin, now is the time to stop and to never do it again. Amen? And so if, you're, if someone's listening to me online and you're not living for Jesus, get born again, because you'll be surprised how many people watch these online. A, a few hundred right here, you know, every week, and a lot of them are not saved. And so we have to say that. Stop breaking God's trust and be saved. And then you would be surprised how many people sit in these chairs and we come to find out they're backsliders. You know, so I always have to throw that in there. If you've been breaking God's trust, stop doing it. Stop living untrustworthy. So be a good steward of what God gave you. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. How are you going to guard it? Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. So the Holy Spirit helps us, but he doesn't determine whether or not we keep it. He's not overriding our free will, but he's there to help us decide to do the right thing. He's there to give us the wisdom of those decisions. And a lot of times people ask me, like, man, what's kept you from an affair? Or what's kept you from pornography and all those things? One of the things that I do, and I feel it's the wisdom of the Lord, is I actually walk out that decision all the way to the end. So I don't leave it in the realm of a mystery and kind of having that, that, that appeal or that sensuality to it. I work it out to the end, okay? So let's say today I cheated on my wife with somebody in the church, right? And so we've, we've set it up, and now I've done it, and I've had sex, okay? So now what am I going to do? What am I going to do now? Am I now going to leave my wife, my best friend, for this person? I don't even know this person. We may not even get along. We may, we may fight and break up within six months. Before I knew Jesus, my longest relationship was like a month or two, three months, you know. So, so what am I going to do? Am I now going to try to keep this person, you know, in my life and, and, and then maybe have a double life? Well, then now I'm a hypocrite. So now what does that look like? That, I hate hypocrites, like the, the act of hypocrisy. And, you know, I mean, I love people, but, you know, I hate that action. So I don't want that. So now you see the illicit sex has started to lose some of that, that glimmer. And then let's just say, well, man, I'm, I'm going to leave my wife for this person. So now what am I going to do? Go get an apartment? With this woman that I barely know as a person other than knowing her in the church, now I'm going to try to start a life with her? How is she ever going to respect me and listen to me when she knows that I can cheat on her because I've already cheated on my wife? What am I going to do for my kids now? How am I going to raise my kids, six children, me from an apartment now? And then now watch this. I take it even one step further. Now I'm with my new side chick, not a pastor, a baby daddy to six kids, broke because all my money now belongs to the to children and my wife because, you know, that divorce, that whatever didn't work out well, right? And then now watch. I'm at the mall and I see another hot chick because as a man, I'm always attracted to hot chicks. I have to always suppress that. But now if I'm already in this world, why am I suppressing that? So, so how long does it take before I cheat on her? How long does that take? And then now what is my life like? My life is the miserable life that I left years ago because now I can't live with myself. Now I think about how much I've hurt my family. Now I realize I'm a slave to my own passions. And then now to hide that pain, what am I going to do? Drink uncontrollably? Do drugs uncontrollably? You know? So there you go. There's, there's the remedy right there. See, the Holy Spirit helped me. 
The Holy Spirit helped me see it so long ago. So it's not like I couldn't agree to the fact of, would our two bodies feel good together having illicit sex? See, that's why I keep it real with people. Oh, yeah, that would feel good. But that's not the consequence. That's not what's going to happen just if two bodies get together and enjoy sex. Do you guys get my point? So you think through the whole thing, and that's the Holy Spirit helping me. So when I think through it, I now see the entire thing. As, as the Bible says in the book of, of Proverbs, I see the ayahit in Hebrew, I see the end from the beginning. And if I can see the end from the beginning, then now it's, it's a clear choice. Because if I want to have fun with two bodies bumping up against each other, why don't I just go do that with my wife, who's my best friend, who's the parent of my children, you know, the mother of my children, have the job that I love, keep serving Jesus as I love, and that's it. I mean, so what would I have gotten out of that? And I remember my mom saying this, and we're all adults, and hopefully people who are listening to this are adults. When I was telling her about one of my friends that are a pastor that had an affair, he, he, she said, what did he think she had that the other woman didn't? We all have the same, and she listed off the body parts. Women have the same thing. You get what I'm saying? So what did he think he was going to get from that woman that the wife he had didn't, doesn't have? You know, and I think of like, uh, we'll do this a little bit adult conversation, but I think of, you know, um, Total Recall when, when Arnold Schwarzenegger goes to Mars and there's a three-breasted woman, a woman, you know. It's not like you get a three-breasted woman now, you know, or something else is different. You're getting the same exact physiology of a body. Your body's going to experience the same physiology that your body would feel even, even with your spouse, right? So what is happening there? See, it's a deception. And we don't guard ourselves from deceptions because we don't allow the Holy Spirit to help us. So I could stay here all day on just that, that part right here, guarding your deposit. You, you just have to think it through and go, man, why would this be worth it? Well, I mean, what do I get out of this? And I'll, I'll just stop right here and go into the pornography thing too because people have asked me, why have I stayed free from pornography, you know? Man, you know, I had sex before marriage and I used to be a sexual person and, you know, that was normal to me was to incorporate pornography and sex with myself and all of that. Well, why did I stop for 10 years? Is it because I, I stopped being sexual or I didn't have desires anymore? No, I just, I thought it through as well. Here you do this action with yourself, which when you think about it, it's, it is disgusting. And let me just pause here and talk a little bit about the world and what happened on social media. The world now through social media has tried to take the shame and the embarrassment away of all the sins of the Bible. Now it's not a shame to do any of those things. And they think that's a good thing to remove the shame. But shame is a part of your conscience. You should be ashamed of yourself when you do things like that. It is a shameful thing. I remember discovering my body as a little boy, and I knew it was shameful to touch and do those things with myself there because I knew that wasn't what I was made for. But I learned from my friends how not to be ashamed and to think of it as a cool thing that we could joke around about and, and, and so forth. And that's what the world's trying to do is take the shame off these things. But it is still shameful. Okay, so I would think through the eyes of God, me doing that to myself, and the shame that I would feel, because I'm a Christian, and I believe in the morality of the Bible, and I believe the perversion of this world is defiling to a Christian, so I would think through it and say, do I want this temporary pleasure for the shame that I'm then going to feel, for then the embarrassment of me confessing it to my accountability partner, saying this is what I'm actually dealing with, this is really who I am. And then now having to repent and reset my testimony over again and say, now it's only been a month since I, you know, had sex with myself. I mean, could you imagine that at some point I would not be a good example as a pastor? At some point in my ministry, that would be a terrible testimony. What if I said that testimony to the men here as we're all talking about the things of, of our lives? And I go, yeah, it's been about three weeks since I looked at porn and had sex with myself, you know? What kind of testimony is that, you know? Like, what is that? And that's what I say now. Like, now it would be, like, so embarrassing. You're like, you know, now I preach. You know, I haven't looked at pornography or done that since 96. And then all of a sudden, the next time I preach, I have to say, well, it was uh, November of 2018, you know, and God has kept me free. Well, praise God, there's forgiveness and all of that. But why do that? So I thought through that, and then I began to think to myself, whatever I do for myself and the pleasure that I feel there, 
It's not as good as being with a woman, all right? It is not. I mean, if you ask anybody from having sex with themselves to having sex with a woman in a heterosexual marriage, because we're going to keep it focused on that right now, the man with half a brain is going to choose the woman, okay? I would rather have sex with a woman than to have sex with myself, okay? And so the point is, is that then you just think to yourself, I will make that moment more pleasurable for me. And for my wife to wait and to have that moment. So, yeah, it ended up being 10 years. And from 96 to the, the year I got married in 2005, nine and a half years, you know, to, in total there, almost 10 years. Uh, no having sex in those 10 years, but, you know, no sex with myself in almost nine and a half years. It was totally worth it. And then people were, like, trying to tell me, like, Maybe you got to do it sometimes. You know, well, the male body has a way of dealing with those things, and it will take care of itself. Amen. That's all I'm going to say right now. It happens mostly at night, and your body takes care of itself. And so you, you're fine, and it works. And people were trying to tell me, oh, well, maybe your, your sex drive will go down because you've denied yourself so much. Oh, come on, somebody. It didn't go down at all. I didn't have sex with myself, like I said, for over nine and a half years. Let my body do its own thing, and now my wife and I have six children. And I'm, I'm a beautifully sexually active man. Amen. I'm happy. I'm a happy, satisfied man. But I have guarded, I have guarded that part of my life. And all I do when I talk to you guys, and I know it's a little bit embarrassing when we talk about sex with our pastor or, or professor or whatever, but here's the deal. The deal is we got to be honest and let the Holy Spirit help us. And that's how the Holy Spirit helps us. He'll tell you these things. He'll explain these things to you. The Holy Spirit knows you're a sexual being. He knows that you're made to experience pleasure that way. And it's the same thing with drinking. You know, our church believes in moderation and so forth. The Holy Spirit will let you know when you're drinking too much. You know, the Holy Spirit will tell you it's not wise to take shot after shot or do something ridiculous like that. If you want to drink like Jesus, Jesus drank at a place where people were around him and he wouldn't feel embarrassed or ashamed the next day. He always drank in front of his disciples or the, the, the people he was with, sometimes the sinners, and he never was accused of being anything other than a righteous, holy man. And when the, the false accusation, I could say, nothing could be proven, but when the false accusation came that he's a drunkard and a glutton, that was them just assuming that he took it too far because they saw him with the wine and they saw him with the food, but they never had any proof that Jesus ever got drunk or that Jesus ever continued to be a glutton, ate till he puked and so forth. So Jesus wasn't that, but Jesus was around good food and wine and so forth. Jesus was the life of the party. So I think the Holy Spirit will guard your sex life. I think the Holy Spirit will guard your eating and drinking. It's something about how much of the Holy Spirit I hear now about my health as I've become more aware of what I need in my life, you know. The Holy Spirit was probably there all along, but I wasn't open to what he was saying. The Holy Spirit will help guide you and guard you when it comes to money. Because no matter how much money you have, a, a money has a way of always making you feel you need more of it to be more secure. Even if you have a billion dollars, like, you, you know, you watch the show Shark Tank and you watch Mark Cuban and these others who fight over these deals, they have billions or hundreds of millions of dollars, and they're still just as desperate for more money as they were when they had zero money. And because it doesn't take away the hunger, the appetite for it. Now, part of that's a God desire to be successful and build growing things and be fruitful and prosperous. But if you're not careful, your desire for more of it will compromise your life and your ministry. And a lot of times, as the Bible says, the love of money is attached to all kinds of evil. And I think a lot of ways, is, is the way it, trick, it comes in as a trick with, with pastors is the idea is, well, I'm not getting paid what I'm worth. This is really more of a side gig for me. And then because of that, they don't keep their guard up in the ministry because it's like, man, I'm just starting off in ministry anyways. I, you know, we're a new team. We don't have to be so strict on guys hanging out with girls or opposite sex, you know, friendships. And, you know, I don't get paid a lot, so I kind of deserve to do these kinds of things. And, you, and those are the way that the love of money tricks you into making other bad decisions. So guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit. Let's go to verse 15. You know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me, including Phygelius and Hermogenius. So here he says two people have deserted him. I mean, the whole area has deserted him, including these two very important people. 
So what does that teach us? Is that Timothy is one of few now. People are leaving Paul left and right. Even these two ones that might have been his friends. And so I won't name names here, but just imagine if I did. If I said, Desi, keep following Jesus because everyone has left me, including your two closest friends in the church. Just imagine if that was true. Would you keep serving Jesus? That's what's going on here. Serving Jesus is going to take your discipline, as the Bible says just a few verses up in verse 7. It says, for the Spirit of God has not made us or given us a spirit of fear, but has given us the spirit of power, love, and self-discipline. You have to make the choice to allow the Spirit to discipline you, to keep you in the things of God. These people allowed their flesh to take over, and now they shipwrecked their faith. He says, may the Lord show mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, Onesiphorus. And Onesiphorus sounds like Onesimus, but they are two different people. That's why I mispronounced it there because I was thinking I was going to say the word Onesimus, but it's Onesiphorus, right? Yeah, let's get, it pron- let's get a pronunciation here since we're all being scholarly here today. Let's get a pronunciation. Let's get it. Yeah, let's see, right here. Let's just touch it here. And, of course, every time I'm touching it, it doesn't want to do it. Oh, maybe it's, it may be doing it, but through the sound system and we can't hear it. That's the problem. Okay, so that's that name. Yeah, somebody touch it. Get it. How was it pronounced? Take your time, baby. Onisophris. Onisophris. And then you have Onisimus. So you have Onisimus in Philemon, and then you have Onisophris in 2 Timothy. Now it says, may God bless him and show him mercy to this house because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. So these are letters being written by Paul while he was in jail. On the contrary, while he was in Rome, he searched hard for me until he found me. So you notice here, he searched for his mentor, his leader. His leader didn't have to run after chasing him. He went after his leader. Amen? That's the way it's supposed to work is we pursue those that we want to get something from because we want to honor them. Not to say that we should leave you alone and just let you be. We should also go after you and care about you if something happens to you. Jesus did that with his disciples. But there should be a passion in your heart to find your leader. And it says, may the Lord grant that he will find mercy from the Lord on that day. You know very well in how many ways he has helped me in Ephesus. Now notice Paul reiterates what he had said before about the pattern, the pattern we must know, show, and grow in. He says now in chapter 2, verse 1, You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. You see, that's what we have to do is find the reliable people. He is telling him, you guard what's been entrusted to you. Now you entrust it to others. Another way of saying this is reach one to teach one to reach one. Or another way is to say connect with one, to mentor one, to send one. This is the pattern of the Bible. And you have to do this to be growing in your faith. If you say this is a job, For somebody else, you'll never grow in your faith. The Bible says that we must bear fruit in our faith, that our testimony is not only for us, but is for others. And so here we see the pattern that Paul set up with Timothy, probably around the age of 16 years old. He takes him on his journeys, and he starts teaching him the things of God. Now at this time, he's become the pastor of the church of Ephesus, the place where Paul spent the most amount of time. And now Paul, in his second letter to him, is encouraging him, man, 
keep what's been entrusted to you. Make sure you fulfill your calling. Do not forsake the Lord like these others have. Keep with God. And then he says to him, be strong in that grace. And the things you heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will begin to teach others, who will be qualified to do that. Now look at verses 3 and onward. And then we'll go into some practical application. Join with me in suffering. See, Paul is suffering persecution, arrested. He says, come on, man, don't be afraid of this. Don't abandon me and the things of God just because it gets hard. Join with me in suffering. And that's what I say to you here. Join with me. I've given up all of the safety nets of ministry so that we could step out on the water with Jesus. Join me on the water, amen. Walk on the water with me. There's a calling upon us. And, and it's, not, it's not wrong to leave. You can leave at any time. We just prefer you to finish SUM, but in your third year, you can decide if you want to go somewhere else after your graduation, that's fine. But listen to me. If God has called you here, it's for a reason. And God could have saved you in any other ministry. Why would he save you here? Why would he bring you here? Make sure you're faithful to that calling. Amen? And he says, join with me in suffering like a good soldier. And there we see the comparison of Christianity to being a soldier, not being beautifully broken, not being some infant, not being some nincompoop, not a sissy. You are compared to a soldier, so live like one. Amen? Like a good soldier. Now notice the comparison he makes of the soldier's life. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. And so for me, I got on fire when I looked at this scripture, and I hope it applies to you in the same exact way, because I realized when I became a Christian that I had a choice if I wanted to stay messing around with everybody else and to keep doing the things that worldly Christians were doing, or I could please my commanding officer and no longer be entangled in the things of the world. And so I want to say the same thing to you. Don't get entangled in the things of the world. You're a soldier. Don't let down your guard. Don't take off your armor. I'm going to have, Lord willing, the leadership do that for their devotions, reading or watching the video, a movie, because there's a lot of opportunities to watch the movie and the videos that have been made from this book, but The Pilgrim's Progress. I don't agree with everything in the book, but the, the second half of it is so powerful. And it talks about after becoming a Christian, all of the attacks that the enemy bring against us in our walk with God. And in the Pilgrim's Progress, these attacks are labeled as people. So the idea is this guy is on a journey and someone like compromise, let's take the example of compromise. It's a person called compromise introduces himself to him. And he tries to get him to compromise, to take off his, his, his armor. And then there's another person that he'll meet called sexual perversion. I mean, it's a great illustration to put in your mind of what this looks like. And the Bible is telling us here, don't be like the world. Now, there's a place that that Christian, that's his name, actually goes to. It's called Vanity Fair. Now, this book was written hundreds of years ago, and this shows you how far our culture has come. Vanity Fair is the most ungodly city in that book. And in the 80s, America started a magazine called Vanity Fair. Just think about that. Like, that just right there rocked me. Like, we are so far from the ideas of what is good that literally what a book wrote about, vanity, and there being a fair, and that's literally what the word means, a fair, a carnival, a showing of vanity was looked at as the most wicked place because it was so deceiving to the senses that now in our culture we have a magazine called Vanity Fair. I mean, there's just, there's just no way around it to say we are in the city of the time of destruction, like the city of, of Vanity Fair. Don't involve yourself with these people and these things. It is so normal. You can even find churches that approve of your behavior. They're now approving of everything. It just came out that a graduate of Moody 
who has already approved of same-sex relationships in his church, and he's kind of a famous guy. You know, he's known for being the guy who was conservative and now is open to everything. Now has gone to the whole other next side. He's approving of polyamorous relationships, which is basically orgies. He's basically saying it's beautiful to have sex with multiple partners and all these things. And he's doing it with a straight face. Yeah, let me just show this to you guys because I think you would be interested in seeing this. Pastor affirms poly... Amory. Yeah, th- this is stuff like when I was growing up in church, we were told would happen, but we just can't even believe. I-, I mean, I just can't believe I'm seeing it. So he was once a Southern Baptist. So technically now he is not a Southern Baptist anymore. So he was a Moody graduate. And when you look at him, and when you look at him, you're going to see the hipster pastor that he is. This is a website here. So here is this guy right here, you know, hipster pastor emphasizes, you know, homosexuality and all of these things, and he also affirms polyamory. It's something that you thought you would have heard about, like I said, as a joke. What happens when a pastor goes poly? So the idea is here is that all things are good as long as it feels good, and that's the civilian affair. The civilian affair is you don't have to work on your, your, you know, your sword, swordmanship, You don't have to work on how you fight in the battle. You don't have to worry about this thing called war anymore. Take off your armor. Take off the seriousness of battle and put on the the, the dance clothes of the world in the sense of David not going to war, looking out from his terrorists, naked women. You know, this is the civilian affair. This is what you are going to be tempted with. Never do that. Similarly, now listen to how he compares us to athletes. Once again, not beautifully broken people, not infants, not the sick people in the stories of Jesus, the woman with the issue of blood. That's not you. You are compared to a soldier in Christianity, amen? And now you're compared to an athlete. Anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown. So think about anybody going after a crown or a championship. Think about how serious they take their athleticism. They do not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. So you not only have to work hard, but you've got to play by the rules. You cannot work hard, take steroids, and now expect to be rewarded. You've got to work hard and now play by the rules and win fairly. So this is what I always say, and Jared remembers this because we've made videos about this with Birdo. As I said, sometimes people talk about Christianity and all these things they're doing as if they're doing something great. It reminds me of an adult that would say, man, you should come play basketball with me and my boys. And, and you, you, know, you start to talk to them about how they play, and the guy goes, man, I slam dunk. I make threes. I'm running the court. Man, we are awesome. And then all of a sudden you get there. Some of you might remember the video because Berto made it with me. You go there, right, and you see there's two Nerf uh, goals set up. One here, one there, the goal's only this high. And literally, man, they got their headbands on, they got their jerseys, and they're just balling, man, dunking 360 dunks and everything, shooting full court, you know, half-court shots. And what would you do if that was you? You would come by there and say, guys, guys, yeah, you might have scored 100 points, but you're not playing by the rules of real basketball. Let me show you what the hoop looks like on a real court. It's what, 10 feet tall? Yeah, it's a 10-foot tall thing, not not two and a half, three feet. And the ball isn't this big. The ball is this big. And the court isn't five feet or six feet across. The court is this many feet across. That's what I feel like when I look at these pastors breaking the rules. And they got all these resources and all these people. I'm like, y'all ain't playing by the rules of building a church according to Jesus. You're playing Nerf ball. And then, you know, then I gave Berto the basketball and he slammed dunk on a real size net. And I'm like, that's what we came to do. We came to really ball. We didn't come to be posers. So be an athlete that competes by the rules and win. And then the last thing he says that we are, he says the hard-working farmer. See, notice that, the hard-working farmer, not the lazy person, not the one just going and getting whatever the, har- the farmer made or, or 
you know, harvested, you're the one that gets it. You're the one that's responsible for it. If, if Jackie doesn't like the ministry she's in, that's Jackie's fault. Because it doesn't matter what the devil does to her, she's the one farming that ground. So when I talk to pastors and they say, well, I don't like my elders and I don't like my deacons and I don't like my worship leader, that's your fault. That's your fault. You may not have made the choices for them to be the kind of person they are. That's true. But it's your fault if you're tolerating and putting up with that. I love my church. I love the people in my church. You know why? Because I'm a hardworking farmer. I make sure to get the weeds out. I make sure to trim the bushes of those who are fruitful and can be more fruitful. I make sure to get out the foxes that kind of try to spoil the vine. I mean, we could be here all day with the illustrations. So when I look across my field or the church that God has given me to oversee, I look at it with that sense of pride and honor that God has given me the, the, the privilege to do this. Not the pride of, look, look what I've done. I'm talking about taking pride in the work, taking pride in what God has done. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. So, man, you get the benefit out of that. So when I see people come around us, they do it all the time. They say, man, I got an opportunity for a youth pastor. You want to send one of your guys over there? And, and it's like, you know, that's cool. I get it, man. You don't really know us, and you see we got a lot of cool students here, and you need somebody. That's cool. So I just tell them, like, no, we're, we're all called here, and those who are not, I let them do that on their own. That's not really what I'm here to do is, is to just send out to all a bunch of people's farms. We're farming what we're supposed to do here. And, that, you know, and then that's cool. We'll just end it like that. But then, you know, maybe in the next conversation they might be like, but boy, Jared, man, he's just is something else, man. I just like Jared. And then I start feeling a little bit uncomfortable, you know, because it's one thing, as I've told you before, for you to say, man, you got some good-looking children here. I mean, they're, they're good-looking children. And then all of a sudden, you start going, but man, Bethany, she really looks good. I'll be like, man, there's something wrong with you. What's wrong with you, you know? And then, and then, and then, and then, you know, they keep going on and on about Jared. It's like, listen, take your hands off Jared. If you want a Jared, go get a Jared. If you want one, go raise one up. Go get them where I got them. Oh, you got the best pumpkin. I want your pumpkin. I bet you I can make some good pumpkin pie with your pumpkin. Okay, well, go get yourself a pumpkin then. Go get one. The dirt's right here, and here's a pumpkin seed. Go get one. Amen? And so you look at the world. You see the world wants to talk like that because they don't want to work. They don't want to go out in the harvest field. That's why 70 to 80% of our church has been won to the Lord here, baptized here, because we're working in the harvest field. And so we get to share from the crops that they make or the, the blessing of their lives. And if some of them make it big in the world, praise God. But we loved them before they did. If those we know now become great pastors and leaders like you guys and your friends, that's great. But, but we, as the movement, get to share that because we didn't go recruit. As a lot of my friends do, they go around to the Bible colleges and then they go try to recruit the best worship leader and the best this, the best that. That's fine. But where did that worship leader come from, though? You see, that worship leader had to be the star pumpkin of somebody's ministry. But now because you're a bigger and better church plant and you're going to recruit them over to yours, you're going to take what that hardworking farmer spent their whole life on. And isn't that the same example that the prophet Nathan brings up to David? When David wasn't satisfied with his wife, his kingdom, he had to take another man's wife. Uh, the, the prophet came up to him, Nathan, and said, imagine this guy, all he has is this one sheep. He takes care of this one sheep. And then here this man came who had a thousand sheep and took that sheep and killed it so he could have his sheep as well as his thousands. What should we do to that man? And David got so mad, he said, man, you just murder that man now. Kill him. That was so terrible. You would do that to that family, take their one little sheep. And that's what a lot of times happens. You look at these churches. Where is their fast growth coming from? Is that fast growth coming because they went into the harvest field? You know these churches right around your neighborhood. You think that they got big because they went out into the harvest field? No, man, they took all these people from their churches. They took all that you talk to them. Every Listen to me. Every time I meet these people from two specific churches, and they're almost twinsies. They almost look exactly alike. I want to name their names so bad right now, but I'm going to show some, I'm going to show some dignity. You know what I'm talking about. You know, they look like twin churches. You talk to every single, every person I have met from those churches. 
always, I ask them, did you get saved there? No, I used to go to another church. Did you get, no, I used to go to another church. Every single one of them tell me that. Every single one of them. They didn't get none that I know of yet. I'm sure they've won somebody to the Lord with them sprinkling a little bit of seed. You know what I'm saying? But we ain't just sprinkling a little bit of seed and then robbing everybody else of their pumpkins. The hardworking farmer, the hardworking one, putting seed in the ground, as Paul said, where nobody else was. When you went there, it was rocky. You couldn't even start planting the seed. You had to get the rocks out. You had to clean it up. Then you had to go in with the plow and dig it up in the sweat of the brow, with the sweat of your brow, the heat of the day, and plant the seed and wait. Amen. And then watch them grow. And then every now and then they'll grow really fast, and then they'll make a mistake and wither a little bit. And then you got to come back to that plant, water it some more, and it grows, it grows, and it grows, you know. And then, like, you finally see, like, this one little, like, this one little tomato growing out of it, and you're so happy. You're so happy. It's a little tomato. Finally, that plant is growing something because it's been taking all of our hard work. Amen. And now he says, verse 7, reflect on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all this. So he gives us those three examples. Think of yourself like a soldier. Think of yourself like an athlete. Think of yourself like a hardworking farmer. And now God will tell you what to do from there. And so that's the pattern. That's the pattern right there. We are to know that pattern. We are to show that pattern to others, and we are to grow in that pattern. One more uh, quick passage, and then we'll make it practical. I don't know how much time we'll get practical because I always prefer the word over my stories. So let's go to Hebrews uh, 13, 7. And I know a lot of you guys have heard my stories, and you get things out of it because it complements what the Scriptures say. But I really want you to get the Scriptures more than my stories right now if I have, if I have to make a choice. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7, we believe this is either Paul or one of his companions. I believe it is Paul just taken by the notes of his companions, so that's why it differs in some of its style, but it's very Pauline in my opinion, the book of Hebrews. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. See, why do you think that powerful theological statement is in that context of following your leaders? Because it's supposed to teach you that it's always been about Jesus, but Jesus uses people. You're supposed to see Jesus is the same, not just as Jesus, you know, uh, he looks the same on that, uh, you know, emaciated white skinny man on a cross. No, that's not the same image you're supposed to have throughout your life of Jesus. The same is that Jesus has always been the Son of God, full of divinity, pleasing the Father, and with his people. So the same Jesus that was with Abraham is with you. The same Jesus that was with Moses is with you. So he's pointing not to that, that, that stale old image we see in the Catholic church. Yeah, that's the same yesterday, today, and forever. No, no, no. It's pointing to the person of Jesus, and this is actually where we get a theological permission to use the name of the incarnation to the pre-incarnate Son of God. So when we say Jesus Christ, we're referring to Yeshua, the Mashiach, the Messiah, who is God and man, God in flesh, that was born of the virgin. We know that's the name that was given him, but it's now being referred to his pre-incarnate state as far back as we can go. And so remember your leaders, because they had, and the Bible even says this too, the Spirit of Christ. They had the Spirit of Christ. And so the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ. That's a, another passage of divinity shown in the New Testament that the authors can easily show the Spirit of God belongs to the Spirit of Jesus. No, no mere angel or creature would ever be given that, that honor to have that title, the Spirit of Christ. So the Spirit of Christ is with the leaders. Here's what the author is saying. And remember that because now he's with you too. In their day and age, the leaders are dying. They're, they're being martyred. And so he's telling them, remember them. And I remember um, the pastors that I had the privilege of sitting under, many that have passed now because of either old age or, you know, sickness. Steve Hill, 
passed away because of sickness. He should still be alive now. He was even younger than Dr. Michael Brown. But I want to remember him as a great leader. David Wilkerson. Uh, Leonard Ravenhill. Great leaders died of old age. Well, Wilkerson died in a car accident. But more than likely, he wouldn't be alive today. Lester Summerall died of old age. Powerful man of God. I got to have him pray for me and meet him and uh, spend time with his family and hear him preach in a very small setting, a setting smaller than our church. And it's just an honor to be with those men and awesome men of uh, women of God as well. Most of the women of God are still alive today. My favorite is uh, Joanne Miller from Ghana, uh, South America. And uh, is it Ghana? Is that Ghana? Guyana. One is Africa, one is South America. Okay, so Guyana. Guyana, thank you. And just her life so deeply impacted me as a woman of God as she was my professor in Bible college. And so what we're supposed to do is we're supposed to look at these people. Whether we're reading their stories or you see them alive, it doesn't matter. Look at them. Consider the outcome of their way of life. Look at the fruit that their life bore and then imitate their faith because God is not a respecter of persons. He'll, he, he, God, will um, bless your acts of faith in the same way he blessed their acts of faith. That's so beautiful that we get to have the same God, the same spirit, um, empower us to do the same things that they did. That's why Jesus said, even the things you've seen me you, seen me do, you can do in even greater, in a greater way. And we believe that's greater in number. And then in verse 17, staying with that same thought, Hebrews 13 goes on to say, have confidence in your leaders. Have confide in Latin. Have the, the trust in them that you would have in God. Not that you put them on the same level of God, not that you're trying to replace their opinions or their things with God, but pethuo, as we learned before, the other word for, for believe or trust, right? The other one is uh, faith, the primary word for faith, pistuo, and then pethuo, have confidence, have faith, have trust in your leaders, submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. I mean, I wish I could say that everybody that's a deacon now, you're really just a deacon to Jesus. And I know that's the way we're supposed to say it. We have the audience of one. But really, what are deacons doing? They're doing the service of their leaders. You guys are literally becoming Joe's deacons. Not for the sake of Joe, don't get me wrong, but for the sake of Jesus, but that Joe may continue to serve God with your help. Now, why is it I say it like that? Because one day you'll be an elder, and you'll be asking people to join with you, to join with you, and you'll take that as a great honor, and you want them to see it as a great honor. You won't look at it like, now you're my slave, and you know, you're going to be the wicked step mom, you know, of uh, Cinderella, like my kids always like to watch that show. You're not going to be that person. You're, you're going to look at the time when someone comes to serve you in the band as a deacon, and they start to multiply your gift. You're going to look at that as a great honor that you get a chance to lead them now. Because think about the musicians who have the, the deacons around them, the assistants around them, but how they treat them. You know, they don't treat them good. They, they let them they let those deacons idolize them. They let, the, you know, these musicians as well as sports stars, you know. And, and it's rare. Like you talk to a Julian where he says, man, this one was nice. This one was nice. Because so often they get a little bit of money and they want, they want their entourage to be basically like their slaves. But when I get the, uh, the honor of having new deacons in the ministry, I take that with seriousness. Think about in the world how often the, the stars sleep with their fans, take more money from their fans. They use their, their entourage to be there for all of their pleasures and all of their whims. But in Christ, it's exactly the opposite. You become a blessing to me as we serve God, and how can I serve you as you serve others is the right attitude. 
But that's what you're doing for your leaders. So yes, you always look past your leader. Look past me and see the cross. Because Jesus is the reason why we're doing it. But at some point, I have to say, as Paul said, Desi and Vinny, follow me as I follow Jesus. Because I know it's all about Jesus, but Jesus didn't tell us to do it by ourselves. So there's supposed to be someone that you can have confidence in and that you can say, I see Jesus in them, and the path that they're going is the path that Jesus is taking me as well. And that's why I say that if you don't do it well with me, how are you going to ask others to do it well with you? When I see people leave here with the wrong attitudes and then they want to jump into leadership, all I have to do is just look at my clock, set the timer for the thing to blow up. It's not that they can't leave the right way. It's when they leave the wrong way and do it. It's because y'all didn't leave here the right way. You didn't submit to us the right way. And I know that we're doing our best for you. So guess what? You're now going to reap a hundred more just like you. And that's what you have to ask yourself. Do I want in ministry a hundred more just like the way I've been with my leader? Come on, think about it. Do you want a hundred more? Some of you have made some big mistakes in ministry. Do you want a hundred people like you in your ministry calling you up, telling you what I've had to hear from your guys' stories and what's going on in your life and the secrets you guys have kept and those kinds of things. I'm not saying it's everybody, but you know what I'm talking about. I got, I got some people here I got to keep it real with. You weren't the story I wanted to hear that day. That thing wasn't what I wanted to hear. So do you want a hundred like you now in your ministry? No. Well, if it's not right, it's a no. But if it's been done right, now you can say yes. Amen? Because I do want you to be able to say yes. And so that's where I think we see maturity in the kingdom of God can't be faked. Because we need to know the pattern. We've got to show the pattern. But what's really going to be the proof that you can know it and show it is when you grow it. When I start to see that you're raising up leaders not just a clique, not just a quote-unquote squad, not just a group of friends that go out together. When I see that you're literally multiplying leaders, that's how I know you're a good leader. Because I will know that you are giving, you are imparting what you have. Because you can't give what you don't have. So if you haven't been that with me, and maybe I even think you are, but really down deep, you're keeping things from me. When it's your turn to impart to others, you'll never be able to go deep with them. Because you will keep those same things from them. So let me give you an example. We've seen people try to go real far in ministry here, but their marriage is falling apart. And they're thinking like, it's Nancy and Joe's problem that, that they have because we're always in their business. And so they're just like, man, kind of let, let me alone. Let me alone. Let me just get involved with my people. Let me just take care of my life group. Let me just do this. I don't need to be so accountable to you. You're too nosy. You're, you, you're too legalistic. You don't give enough grace. We give grace to our people. We really make sure they get to have the space to do things. Watch those same people. Their marriage will continue to be broken, and the ones they're trying to help will be even worse. Are you listening to me? Why? Because whatever advice they think they're given, whatever they think they're pouring out, it's not going to be a solution to those people because the real solution would come in their openness to their leaders and their teachability. That's why I've never done a marriage conference, never done one. But I have one of the best marriages you'll ever see, and the leaders who walk with me have some of the best marriages you'll ever see. Why is, it, why is that? Because we lead from this. I follow my leaders' forms of marriage, Pastor Grogan and Brother Anthony, my leaders. I submit to them. I've watched them lead their families all of these years. I've seen them raise them up and to be men and women of God. I know what it looks like. I keep the men around me accountable. My wife keeps them accountable. Both of our parents are still married. Come on. And we just impart it. And I know when people are faking the funk. And I could go through all kinds of other areas of life too. But I'm telling you, it will never change. Whatever area I'm talking about, it's always going to work the same exact way. Have you been under the authority of your leader? Because that will determine whether or not you can grow with the authority of those under you. And isn't that what the Roman soldier said to Jesus? He said, I got people over me and I got people under me. I know if you speak the word, it will get done because that's how it works in my world. 
And that's how it works in the ministry world. If you're receiving what we're giving to you, then you will have people around you that receive it. That's why in all of my years of ministry, just giving an example of some people you know, Ricky and Rachel have always been the most teachable people in my life, and they're one of the greatest leaders in this church. Right? Just think about it. If I said to you, point out some of my strongest leaders, who's the first one you would point? Ricky and Rachel. How have Ricky and Rachel been with me all this time? They're not yes people. They're not saying stuff just to say it. They're not just trying to be agreeable to anything that I put out there, but they're humble, teachable people trusting me to lead them and to lead their marriage and life and to be godly, a godly pastor to them and lead them in godliness. So when they do that so well, my job is easy. I'm not fighting attitude with them. I've never had to fight attitude with Rachel one time. I've never... <laughs> I've never had to fight attitude with Rachel one time. And you ask every single person here, if I was to give you a list of ladies in the church, Rachel, and ask you who would you want to be mentored by, Rachel would always be, and every single person who, know, who would know her, she would be their top three, if not most people's one or two. Because everybody knows Rachel is kind and loving and patient and all those things. And it's the same thing. You look at my relationship with my wife, nice Nancy, and the countenance of her face and the, and the joy she has in ministry because I have led her that way as her husband, and together we're a powerhouse for Jesus. But if my wife didn't want to follow my leading as I had a young lady that I was dating, she didn't want to follow my leading. She thought she was a know-it-all, and I kept thinking I could change and, and be different for her. And the very things that Nancy loves about me, she hated. That same girl cheated on me. When she went back to Bible college after doing the internship, she cheated on me. See, her unteachable attitude should have been the sign to me. I should have broke up with her before she even had the chance because I now realize that an unteachable spirit is the root to all these other things. That's the pride of life. The, the Bible literally says lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. That is the deeds of the flesh, and that's what got us into trouble in the garden when we don't submit, when we think we know more. And so you will show you will show that you got this down when you grow as a leader and there's people around you that are submitting to you and following you as you follow Christ. Not because you're some super Christian in the, in the carnal sense, like, you know, you read the King James Bible and you know so much. No, it's because you have demonstrated the pattern. Come on, somebody. You have demonstrated the pattern. You're not here because of my preaching ability. You're not here because of the books. You're not here because of any of that. You're here because of one reason, one reason only. I demonstrate the pattern you read in the Bible. I mean, I just think about it. What makes me a great leader to you? The pattern. It's not that I created the pattern. You just see the pattern in my life. That's why the greatest compliment that Ricky paid to me, one of our longest standing elders, those who are listening who may not know who this couple is, they've been with us for over 10 years. Guess what he says on his post to me during pastor appreciation? What does he say? Consistency. He says, pastor, one word comes to mind when I see your life. Consistency. Thank you. See, that's it. I've just been consistent in the pattern. I've made a ton of mistakes. I've, I've acted in the flesh. I've yelled at them. I've treated them bad. I've been mean. You know, I, it, I've, I've not always been the pastor I was supposed to be, but what made the difference? I stayed in the pattern. I was consistent in that pattern, and I wish now I could go to the, to the message, and you could just look at your neighbor and say, that's the introduction. But uh, Vinny and Des, they got some of that today on the car ride here. But that's what we have to do. you gotta, you got to live out that pattern. And if at any time, and I want to be very clear with this, you don't want to live out the pattern here, we're going to bless you and send you. Just let us know so we can do it the right way. Otherwise, we have to say we love you, we bless you in the overall scheme of what you're doing, but we're basically saying to anybody around you, watch out because you ain't ready to lead them yet. You know, you're just not ready. You're just not ready. And you've known a few people like that, and, and, and they'll, they'll always be around, and that's okay because we're not here to force people, and sometimes the longer journey is the journey they need. 
I, I, I wish I could name a name to you because you'd know exactly what I'm talking about. He was a rapper who used to go to a church of somebody here. And when he went to start his own church, he actually came to us. And he was this close as well to being under us. Uh, but in a car with him and his wife, I said, well, here's some of the things I want to start keeping you accountable to. When was the last time you had sex with yourself, looked at pornography? He got really embarrassed and didn't really want to give him a straight answer. And I go, oh, it was that recent. Um, and then uh, he got a, kind of offended by that. And then he said he just wanted me to be on his board. He didn't want uh, to be what we were doing, you know, and to go join the Bible. Bible college and all these steps I was giving them, we'd keep them accountable. And I said, bro, I'm not going to be on your board unless you're underneath the ministry because I don't trust you yet. You, you've got to learn to submit. You've got to do this part right here. You've got to learn to trust somebody because, you know, he had been hurt from the church he was in. Long story short, five years later, moving now to Atlanta. Out. Done. So church is shutting down. I've been looking at the page. You can't really find much about it. And, uh, you know, I, I was looking at the different things they had going on, and it's just like nobody even wants to talk about it. It's like as if the church didn't even exist, you know. And, um, you know, all men need to be accountable to pornography, sex with yourself, all of those things. And so now I wish I wouldn't have given all those details because I don't want you all to try to find out who this is. And if you do know who he is, just pray for him. But the point is, is, is if you don't want the accountability, you don't want those kinds of things, you want to get the, out there on your own, I don't care how talented you are, chances are you're not going to make it. The only ones that I've seen even come close to making it are the ones who get broken and come back to people like me with tears going, man, I'm so sorry. I've learned so much. I'll never be the same again. I'm just asking God now to spare me, to spare the people, help the thing grow. And then you'll see something like that come out of it. But the cockiness, the attitude, there will never be an I told you so from that spirit because God will bust it down. It will, it will be exposed. It will be dealt with. And so now I pray for that brother for him to continue on in his journey as whatever, you know, he's doing in rap music and those kinds of things. But it's a warning to us. Amen. Father, we ask that we will know the pattern, show the pattern, and grow the pattern in others. Help us all to do that in such a way that blesses the people around us and in our lives. May it be for the sake of your kingdom first and for the benefit of those around us so that the world may know you. In Jesus' name, amen.